0: I'm Robbie Thigpen, and welcome to the Sargassum Podcast.
1: I'm Jenna Contugio.
2: And I'm Francesca Elmer, and we are your hosts for today. We are going to share with you the latest ideas and concepts about sargassum and sargassum beaching events, which have become an international challenge. Let's get ready to learn together.
0: Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Sargassum Podcast. We got a really good bunch of us here today, and I think we'll have a really good time. But um I think that um one of our hosts wants to tell us about seeing Kuku Khan descend from his pyramid the other day to be with his people and maybe she'll share that with maybe Fran will be able to share that with us a little bit. Um
2: yes, so Robbie has told me about this last year and I didn't get to go because I did, first of all, it was closed because of COVID, and I was also worried about too many people being there because of COVID. But this year, my auntie and uncle are visiting, and we're like, okay, they're visiting at the right time. Robbie wanted to come here for this, but then he couldn't make it. So on Saturday, the day before the equinox, we went to Chichen Itza to see this phenomenon where... Um, there is a shadow, a, a zigzaggy shadow, on the pyramid um, stairs, so you can see the snake descending down. But what we didn't realize is that Yucatan is an hour behind Quintana Roo, so we got there an hour too early, and and we wanted to see it, and it's like, oh, it's not happening. What is hap- What is going on? So, of course, after a while, it started happening a bit later. And we were also, we we thought it was weird that they didn't all shush us out at five o'clock because it was actually still four o'clock. But it was pretty cool and there wasn't too many people. So it was uh, really, really nice. And the pyramids are just amazing. They're so big. And seeing like what kind of city was there and imagining what it looked like with all the colors and and all the ornaments that, you know, some of them are still there, some of them aren't there. The big ball court where they played games. It is a pretty amazing place. Yeah. What about Jenna and Robbie? Did you do anything exciting in the last few weeks?
1: Uh, it's my spring break from school right now, so that's really exciting. Yay, spring break.
0: Well, I, I just uploaded a, 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 a what I would describe as a data dump to the uh, Archive of Indigenous Languages of Latin America. And um, so, there, yeah, our, our, uh, our bunch of stuff's getting bigger and bigger every day and all that, and we're all happy about that. But um, speaking of Mexico, which is where Francisca is right now, we uh, have a couple of people, people with us here today. Betsa is one of those people, and she's from Mexico, or Defe, Mexico City. And all, but uh, she's in Nottingham this morning. We also have Jeff Smith with us today. He uh, does some interesting stuff. Um, yeah. Anyway, but uh, they're they're both with uh, Sargassus Sure, and it's a new service to provide reliable, actionable, near real time information to the Sargassum downstream industry sector. Sargassus I hope I'm saying that correctly. It's a project funded by the UK Space Agency. It builds on the earlier work of the SASAMS project team, which engaged with Mexican stakeholders. Sarga refreshing the SAMS technical specs with a focus on commercial downstream users to design and build a demonstration service. Today, we had the pleasure to talk with the two people involved with this. And with that, we'll let Francisca um, introduce everybody.
2: Um. Dr. Geoff Smith works for Spectro Natura, and he's at the interface between the users, the service providers, and the technology developers. Um, Previously, he has worked in academia, government research, and in the private sector, um, with links to the UK, Europe, and international organizations. And Betsa de la Pareda, is a postdoctoral researcher at the School of Geog- Geography at the University of Nottingham. She has been working on various projects for understanding the effects of climate change in different environments, from the Arctic to the tropics, using Earth observation data. Currently, she is involved with the Sargasur project and also starts a new project in Belize and in Mexico, analyzing the impacts of extreme weather events on local communities. Welcome to
3: the
4: podcast, Joff and Betsa. Hello. Hello, thank you.
0: Yes, welcome. Uh, Glad to know you're going to be working down there in Belize. Are you going to be working with the fisheries department down there?
4: We will be more uh, more inland this time with agriculture uh, community, like communities, Mayan communities, and uh, who to agriculture. And then we are trying to see the effects of droughts and hurricanes in different communities. And the idea is then to expand, if we can, to maybe topics about the sargassum as well in that area.
0: Excellent, excellent, I'm glad to hear that. And i you know, uh, many times a lot of people doing stuff, you know, uh, overlook these inland communities and they're just as important as these fisheries too. So thank you. and I'll, I'm going to ask both of you a question, and all both of you we want two different answers for this. Some other question one of you might feel like you can answer the question better than other, but this one we want to answer for both of you. But um, and we'll start with Jeff since we've already talked the bets for a little bit. And I, and what I want you to do is just tell me what sargassum is to you.
3: Okay sure yeah well um to give a bit of my history I actually come from a city in the UK which is possibly the farthest from the sea so my experience of the coasts uh, was not very high to begin with um and so any understanding of sargassum was purely related to the issues of the sargasso sea and I started my career as a geographer uh, but then as I started working uh, more with satellite imagery Uh, I ended up working with some researchers who were involved in in coastal activities, um, purely as hired help originally, just carrying stuff around the salt marshes and mudflats of the UK. But that got me really excited about what a sort of dynamic environment the coasts were, how they were changing rapidly uh, from everything from a single wave can alter the sand, shape of the sand to um, changes in salt marshes and barrier islands over time. And it got me thinking that that's a great opportunity for using Earth Observation because we, we take taken a complete picture of the whole coast at once sort a snapshot. Um, we can get down to quite fine detail uh, and then we can kind of uh, repeat that over time to see how the coast is changing and also without actually uh, invading it with boots, you might say. So we without damaging any of these really delicate habitats, we can start to monitor them and how they're changing and uh and i crossed paths with Betza working on a much more conventional national land cover mapping project in the uk and uh and it was only later on in our sort of association that we then uh, the idea of sargassum came up and i think Betza can probably then fill in um uh, how that that next stage in her experience of uh, sargassum yeah that that's uh that's
4: actually a really nice story and like everything went align and it happened. So, like uh, there was this call from the UK Space Agency, and I've been working in the Yucatan Peninsula for since my PhD. So I've been always interested in on on the area, and uh, and there was this call of the UK Space Agency about like tackling a problem in a ODA country. So. We talked a bit, Jeff and I on the phone, but we were I was on, on the train towards Heathrow to take my flight to Mexico. And Jeff was going as well to I think Cambridge and then we were both going to be in same, St Pancras at the same time. And uh we realized when we were on our on our way, so we went for a pint in St. Pancras for a 45 minute pint and talk about sargassum and we decided to to go for it <laughs> and then it's how SASAMS started as the as the first project and then Sargassure. And uh, yeah, it's been, for me, Sargassum always was like uh, <clears throat> just an habitat, marine habitat. And then I started realizing how, how it was negatively impacted like the tourism and all the coastal communities in Mexico and as a remote sensing, scientist I was always thinking like there's something that we could do a lot to with remote sensing to help understanding a bit more of sargassum and yeah I think the meaning has been changing for me on time like from being just an habitat to be like something that it was affecting the coastal communities and tourism in Mexico and then an opportunity to track it with remote sensing with earth observation data and working together to get to this like uh, sure that it's more like to to provide sarga, like as an opportunity sargassum as an opportunity for using it
1: that's neat i love the uh, how you met and how you both started working together so your focus is on sargassum detection on the Mexican Caribbean coast. Can you tell us a little bit about how sargassum travels in that region? How much reaches the coast versus versus goes further into the Gulf of Mexico?
3: Uh, yeah, I can't I can't give you a huge amount of detail on that as uh, I'm not I'm not the an oceanographer or a a hydrodynamicist. Um but, but what is interesting through our project uh, working with um, people on the ground on the Mexican coast, uh, is having that information not only about where the sargassum is, but also some information on the currents and the, the wind directions, etc., uh, especially in the, the coastal zone where you have the impacts of bathymetry. Um, and that, that's really where you need local knowledge. And so our, our, our service is actually targeted almost at the people standing on the beach, standing on the quay, rather than looking at large scale movements uh, at the sort of basin or whole Caribbean level. We want to be able to show people this is the situation yesterday. uh, The Sargassum was a kilometre offshore Um, and then they can then use their local knowledge. I mean, even knowing which way the wind has been blowing for the last 24 hours will give them an idea of whether that that Sargassum is likely to pile up onto the beach or will it move along the coast carried by a current or are there reefs nearby which may sort of entrap the sargassum so it's what we're proposing is a very sort of tactical service so it's for real practical use so not forecasting over long time periods but by saying in a couple of days you know these sort of things will happen or if if people have special requirements such as if they're collecting large amounts of sargassum, we want to be able to det- drive them, um, direct them to the beaches where the largest quantities of sargassum are there, or the freshest uh, amounts of sargassum. Right, so they then become much more efficient at doing the collection. They, uh, you know, they burn less fuel. They, um, they can respond much more quickly to events. So it's yeah, very sort of very tactical management um we know there are other services operating uh, the, the caribbean Wired the guys from the university of is it university of southern florida that they, they produce some fantastic maps looking at the great sargassum belt in the atlantic and these pulses of sargassum moving into the caribbean uh, but we we're, we're we're the kind of next step on from that so once you know sargassums in your area you know exactly which cove is it going to collect in which Which beach will it pile up on? Do you need to put a boom out? It's those kinds of questions that we want to help people answer.
2: During sargassum season, I always use webcams to find out if beaches close to me are sargassum-free. And if it's worth going to the next um, town, if there's sargassum on my beach that is close by. So an app that would tell you where sargassum is or not would definitely be helpful, I think, for a lot of people. Um, our next question, or my next question, is: um, You are using Planet Superdope satellites. Um, how are these different from the Sentinel and the MODIS satellites used for sargassum predictions by other agencies?
3: Uh, They've got uh, there's three characteristics that uh, make it stand out. The first is it it takes images which are much more detailed, so down to three meter pixels, whereas Sentinel is 10 meters and MODIS is 300 meters. So the actual scale um, is better. Uh, and especially in a sort of microtidal area like the Caribbean, where you, you don't have huge beaches, they're all, they're all quite narrow and the, the accumulations of sargassum will only be, well, I'm, I guess, you know, tens of meters wide at the maximum, maybe. Um, so it so it gives us much more detailed images um, it also uh, collects in fact it collects an image of the globe every day so they have 120 satellites in orbit and each one of those collects a little small strip of the earth each day and when you stitch all those together that gives you a daily picture of the Earth. So if it's cloud free on a particular day, or even if it's just broken cloud, we'll still be able to collect some information on a daily basis. Uh, And the final bit is um, these these spatially detailed satellites usually only have a limited number of colours effectively that they record. So uh, they usually have red, green and blue, what we see with our eyes, and maybe near infrared, which uh, is very good for vegetation mapping. But these super doves have some extra colours. Uh, they're able to see subtle differences in um, sort of the yellowing and browning of the sargassum. Uh, and also they're very good. They have an extra band, which is very good at mapping the sargassum in open water. So that it, it, it's um, I say it's the kind of sweet spot of all the things we needed uh, in order to make this sargassure um, uh, pro- project work. And going back to um, when Betzer and I drank beer and came up with this idea, that was just at the time where Planet were announcing this new type of satellite. So we've kind of been going along with them on this journey. Um, and so recently, uh, Saga Shore was part of the press release that they put out for uh, for the launch of these new satellites. So We've we've kind of hit the you know the project and the satellites have all hit the right time as as Betsy said the stars have aligned and you know we can now offer this much more, more capable service because there's there's no point in offering a service to people that doesn't give them what they require or it's not detailed enough or it's not often enough um, you know to make make it a real operational service we needed all those things to be in place.
4: Just yes, to add on uh, I would like to say that it's really interesting all these extra bands that Jeff were talking about because for the industry it's quite important to see like the status of sarg- sargassum if it is if it is fresh sargassum if it is decaying or if it is already dry and accumulated on the beach so I think that gives also an extra thing that sentinel or modis would never give That information.
2: Why are you focusing on commercial users? How are their needs different from other users?
3: Do you want to to go
2: first?
4: Yeah, Yeah, the main reason now that we focus on commercial is because we applied for this grant in the UK Space Agency, that the main focus was to develop a commercial application. Previously we started with Sams that it was more research and development and it was more like uh, it was more like discovering what what were the needs of all users from commercial to research to local communities but then in this case we were just applying for well we are just using like uh, commercial users uh, however i think that now we are focused on this, but the idea would be to expand to different users and to keep the research on this and uh, and try to expand also to different areas, not just Mexico, for example, but like uh, but yeah, I think now it's commercial. The needs are a bit different, I would say, but at the same time the same. And this is that like, everyone wants to know where is the sargassum and if it's going to beach or not. Uh, I think what, uh, the same as I said about this special, like, uh, like um, more detailed information could be really useful for commercial needs that is different from people who do maybe research or a hotel who wants to, to know how much sargassum is in their beach. Or approaching so I think different uh, inf- different images and different use of the information will give you different like outputs and will answer different needs and do you want to complement something
3: yeah, yeah no, no that that's exactly right and I mean it is um, the UK space Agency is obviously funding companies in the UK and organizations to develop uh, com- businesses and comm- and uh, not just businesses, but to get people actively using Earth observation, and you usually require either some kind of regulation, some kind of policy, or some kind of industrial, you know, commercial driver. To you know, why do people want to know this information? You know, uh, to sort of take it more out of the academic domain and place it more in the operational domain. Uh, and it was purely uh, it was a kind of choice that we made as well, because the um, the planet data is co- it's commercial data. So the service will have to purchase that. So uh, people using our service will have to pay a cost. Uh, unfortunately, we can't make that freely available. But but as we scale up, then the costs will obviously come down. Um, as, as the costs of lots all satellite data has come down over time in the commercial sector. So it's, it was a kind of tie up between making sure that we, we were providing information to people who were also then likely to become commercial customers. Uh, but then as Betsa says, once the service is, is in place, we'd be able to offer then um, sort of, you know, access and subscription uh, packages for for universities or maybe a local authority would want to purchase access and then they could share the information to the general public, or post it on their website, or you know, so we we needed to get effectively a foot in the door and allow us to set up the infrastructure. Uh, but once the infrastructure is running, uh, the satellites just keep coming round. They don't, you know, they well, they do fall out of the sky eventually, but then they get replaced by new ones. So that that's all happening. Then you know, there's you know, there's no setup cost in launching the satellites. Um, and so we could then ta- we can then tailor the products and services uh, to a much broader range of user communities so um yeah the commercial aspect but, but it's interesting because i mean the a commercial pull uh, if people you know are using sargassum for biofuels or fertilizers or as some kind of feedstock for a chemical process then you know that they will have uh, constraints. Uh, I mean, I guess at the moment they just have to drive to the beach, look to see what the sargassum's like. Is it there? What's the quality? Uh, you know, we could then take that uh, that cost out of their production cycle, so they would then get a benefit of being only going to the beaches where there's enough sargassum and it's the right quality. So I think that's a really sort of exciting opportunity. Um, and then, you know, you could then you then start to spin out to other ideas like the hotels and, you know, do you want to boom out permanently or do you take the booms in and out and then, you know, or start collecting when material is building up on your booms. You know, it's uh, it's an exciting opportunity to sort of have this information at your fingertips, you know, rather than having to go and collect it um, and then make a decision. The, each day, you will effectively get a report to say what the situation is. So I think that's uh, an exciting opportunity.
1: You've you've pretty much already answered my next question, but maybe you can um, I don't know lay lay it out more directly or talk about any plans for the future that you have too for the service to change, but. What can your service deliver to its users? And I know we've, like I said, we've kind of touched on some of that. But are there any plans to add in anything later? Are you guys looking mm-hmm. towards the future as far as the product goes?
3: Um, yeah. Well, at the moment, what what will happen if you were a user and you logged in? Um, you're then able to identify your area of interest. So on a map, you're able to digitize. You know so if you were a hotel owner for instance you would digitize maybe the bit of beach that you're or your local town or something um, and then once that's in the system each day the, we check the satellite archive to see if a new image has been acquired uh, and if it has then we process that um, and pull out a map of the location of the Sargassum and a, an indication of its sort of quality uh, and volume these are quite these are qualitative values because we have no ground reference to compare them against. But it will give you a scale of you know, where the sargassum is accumulating and where there's just maybe a, a thin stripe uh, sort of things. And then once we've processed that, that stays in our archive. Uh, and we send the user, your whoever's done the digital, who's set up the AI, they will get an alert then, which will tell them if there's sargassum in their area. Um, and if there is, then they can then look... At the application, or we can send them a report with pictures, you know, showing them their their area of landscape with the sarg, bands of sargassum, etc. Uh, there, so they could make a kind of visual assessment then, or they can go into our tool, and the, the they'll be able to see the same data, but um, see it in a, an interactive fashion. They could zoom in and out, switch different layers on and off. Um, and that they could even upload their own information so if they have things like um, uh, areas of beach that they have responsibility for or if they have known locations of booms etc they could include that data and then examine our results in that context so so that that's kind of what's going to be on offer now uh, but in the future well as i say the uh Almost the difficult part is to take the images from the satellites and convert them into Sargassum maps. but once you have those, you can then um the simplest thing might be to almost run an animation, show me the last five days of maps, and you will see the you know the sargassum moving around, and then again back to the local knowledge, you can then use that information to say, "Oh okay, well, it looks like this patch of Sargassum is moving off, or oh, it looks like we'll land here." um uh, and then then adding you know linking with other services maybe giving a much longer forecast maybe if another service is telling us about uh, a, a, a big raft of sargassum approaching far out in the caribbean then we can kind of then tailor our results to make sure we're watching for that uh, that arrival so yeah once the once the core information is available uh, there's lots of spin-outs, and I think the exciting thing for us will be to see what users do with that. You know, it's like lots of technologies once once they're out in the public domain. Um, everything from GPS, Google Maps, all these different services that are then built on that technology. Um, I mean, an idea I had at the very beginning of SASAMs was just having a, an app on your phone where you press a button and the phone knows where you are from GPS. And it just tells you whether to go to the beach or not. You know, I mean, it's a, a really ridiculous app, but that might be quite useful for someone. Do I go to this beach or do I go down the coast and find another beach? You know, and, and there you don't, that's the good thing that you don't need to see any satellite images. You don't need to do any processing yourself. You don't see any maps. It's just telling you or giving you a location-based service. Um, so, yeah. I mean, you can think of various apps that we have on our phones where you you press the "I am here" button, and then it rearranges things to to make it appropriate for your location. Better. Anything else? I'm going. I'm starting to go. Uh, <laughs> all my crazy ideas are starting to come out now. <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: it's nice.
4: It's always nice to see all the crazy ideas going real. <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. No, exactly what. Jeff said, and also like, like all the combination with other data, like wind or waves or stuff that everyone can put in, or that we can actually partner with, then it would be a really nice way to see where the sargassum mats are moving, and uh, lo- local knowledge, as in everyone can actually like draw their own conclusions as well about. Like, uh, where is the Sargasso going, and uh, and how how can they tackle that? I think yeah. That's...
0: Everybody, we're having some technical difficulties today, and Fran had to leave us. She's in a in a hotel in Merida, and I guess uh, I don't know what happened, but uh, she's no longer with us right now. I mean, she's still with us. She's just not recording with us and all. And uh, we got one last question we want to ask our, our guest today. And that is your service is de- still being developed and all. But how will it, does it, you think it's going to affect users, positive or negative, And what kind of feedback are you hoping to get from them?
3: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, um, I mean, I think the positive part is uh, I think we're continuing this kind of, um, uh, overall drive for people using uh, geospatial services, even if people don't realize it. You know, we're we're in a world now where uh, devices and applications are driven by geography um, and much more up to the minute measurements of the environment, which I think that's a really positive thing. And, you know, to move forward with lots of things, like climate change, uh, environmental degradation, losses of biodiversity you know we need the information to show to people what's happening and and also then for to respond and adapt to those situations. so that's a positive thing. I think the only negative thing from our our um, service and um, is the fact that we will have to charge for it so that's the uh, the kind of negative side and I think it it then puts the onus on us. To show to people what the value is of that of that service, um, and so I think it's it's more to do with the kind of promotion activity and to show people that you know there will be a cost benefit, you know they may uh, involve some cost, but then they will then reap some reward from that. And certainly, in other projects that I've done, people often don't have real idea of the value of what they're doing at the moment, for instance, like going into the field and taking measurements. You know, people rarely cost up the price of a person and a vehicle and the environmental damage, you know, never gets put into the ledger because it's something they may have been doing for years, decades. And so it's just part of their day to day activity. And so I think uh, what we need to do is promote that to them and say, look, we can you can have benefits, both financial and environmental here by adopting our uh, our approach but also the fact that we cannot measure everything from space so we are providing you with a, a complementary information feed um and you what 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 amazing things they the users may be able to build on that when they see this map of sargassum changing every day what else will they see changing every day and they say okay well while we're measuring sargassum why are we not also measuring some other property in the environment so yeah, so it's exciting. And yeah, the negative bit is the cost. So which we just can't get around. They have to be paid for uh, to fire these satellites into space. Um, but compared to what we were paying, well, back in the day when I started my career, we would pay thousands of dollars for a single satellite image. Um, and then people would be literally chopping the satellite image into quarters to say, oh, I'll just buy a quarter of that satellite image. Uh, whereas now we may be paying for the imagery now, but we can effectively pay by the pixel. We can say we want, you know, if you are to digitize a very awkward shaped um, area that you're interested in, you know, it doesn't have to be a square anymore. We could have a very long, thin strip, and you would only then have to pay for that long, thin strip. So we're in a different world now. And I think uh, uh, hopefully, yeah, we can promote the benefits of it and, and people can see that they can get a lot, lot more out of it than they would have done even five years ago. It's uh, a very changed environment now. Betsa?
4: yeah, I also would like just to add that uh, in, in the positive part is that when you are developing a system, there's also a lot of space, of a lot of room to kind of like have more ideas and experiment with the users. And like try to kind of understand how can you improve and how can you, yeah, how can you get better and more useful for them, and also there's a chance to explore where your system could actually be embedded afterwards in other in other users, not just the commercial users, for example, and uh, yeah, the negative part is always the cost is the worst part, <laughs> but also I think if 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 we manage to expand and to be like a like a more like regional or more complete like service well complete is the wrong word, but like a more like a holistic service that, that could actually like bring the cost down perhaps or maybe communicate with other like uh, services as well that will help to kind of have maybe a mix of like Free information against, like maybe a bit, uh, yeah, and more expensive information, let's say. Uh, but yeah, I think it's more positive being developing because you have lots of opportunity to kind of like keep your imagination going on and trying to make these things happen.
3: Yep. Yeah. And I think it's it's been a positive for me, as I said, coming from a uh, a city a long way from the sea, uh, to get it, the sargassum community seems to be quite a vibrant um, community. So I think there's uh, it's positive to know that we can pre- present something to them, and you know we'll obviously get a fair uh, you know crit- critique if it's not working. I'm sure they'll they're as likely to tell us that as if it does. So. Uh, you know, I think it's because inci- often um, the Earth observation people, we're described as having a solution looking for a problem. But uh, in the case of sargassum, it's, you know, it's a definite problem or, or opportunity if you see, you know, it's an issue uh, that definitely needs some support. So I think, uh, you know, it's great to know that we're sort of pushing it at an, an open door there. Um, and hopefully we can develop something that, uh, that that benefits as many people as possible.
0: Excellent. Well, thank y'all, y'all guys, very much for being with us today. Before I go, Betza, soy un del capítulo de Honduras Um el Congreso de la para Biología y Conservación. I believe that this year's Congress, we haven't sent out the call yet, but it's going to be in cuanavaca the uh Mexican chapter is going to be putting on. I'm going to send you. The Call for Papers, love to see you there. And uh, I, I know, you're, I know you, uh, your country yes. love to see you there as well. So I'll, I'll send you that when it comes out. And um, uh, But anyway, thank you. Yeah, that you. would
4: be great. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Anyway, loved having you guys here today. And, uh, you know, look forward to being in contact with you again. And uh, everybody else out there, thank you for being with us too. And uh, we'll see you, see you guys next time. Thank you very much.
1: And one one thing before we leave, maybe we can um, rewind this for a second. Can you tell us? Um, it'll be in the show notes, but where can people find out more information? Do you have a website that they can visit, or if they want to look into the service, if they're a stakeholder and something like this, where can we where can we send them?
3: Well, the um, they're the setting up the service now, and the uh, address is sargashua.net. I can maybe email this stuff to you. But but for news, it's best to follow our Twitter account, which is the it's the old SASAMS Twitter account. So it's at SASAMS underscore EO and I can send that to you as well. Perfect. Thank you
4: and for there's sharing. a website as well that we might we need to update.
3: Yeah, there's a website from SASAMS which has not been updated recently. So but but yeah, that's still a source of information about the general concept. So Great. Okay.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to see how your service um, grows and and morphs, and it's exciting. Hopefully, you can find more grants to get this to more people as well. So.
0: Okay. Well, I look forward to seeing you guys, and y'all have a wonderful, wonderful day, okay?
3: Great. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thank bye you. Bye.
0: Well, that was very interesting. We we talked about a lot of cool stuff, but I personally, you know, you know what I'm doing and all with with all this stuff, but I I really liked how they like kept talking about local knowledge, local knowledge. And I know you're not shocked that I really keyed in on that more than anything else and all, but, you know, using science and combining it with local science, with local knowledge makes everything stronger, you know? And, And that's the whole premise of what, you know, our project is about, you know, with his science books, you know, combining Western science with local indigenous knowledge systems makes everything stronger and it's good for both when they work together and all. And that's, that was just a very exciting to me to hear people that I've never, ever met before didn't know what I was doing talking about that and all. And, and that was just, that was the neatest thing to me about this. And also, how about you? What, what, what was your favorite part?
1: Yeah, that was a really neat connection. I like that. I like that as well. I, I love the, the story of how they met. And it's always kind of nice to have these personal touches as far as a science story goes. And it was neat to hear just sort of things kind of fell in place perfectly. And I, I love when that kind of stuff happens. I also think that satellite technology is so advanced now. I mean, what he said, three meters for um, the pixel, as far as that goes, is seeing the pixels. I, that's Crazy! That's pretty amazing.
0: Well, you know the thing is, you know, um, in the pre-Columbian Mesoamerica, you know, um, you know, it, it, they they had some amazing things. This this particular podcast even started out, out talking about the amazing mathematics and engineering skills and astronomical skills. I mean, the the Maya were, or they they independently came up with the concept of zero. They, uh, you know, they had mathematics, they had engineerings. They they were the Neil deGrasse Tysons of the astronomy at that time, you know, essentially astrophysicists. And the engineering and mathematics and astrophysics that went into the creation of the pyramid at Jetson where she saw Kukulkan descend, and you can see, it, see him descend to be with his people. Every equinox, both of them, every year, and it does the same thing. It still functions the way it does today. They had... Ecological knowledge of plants and for eating and and making medicines, and um, so that, and and the growing crops, agronomy, if you will, um, to to support large uh, trading routes among these, you know, city states all throughout Mesoamerica. And they were successful and all. And what you were just talking about, and they were talking about too, is satellites. Connecting satellite knowledge we get from satellites with this local indigenous knowledge systems and all. And I just I, I just can't get over it. I, I, I was getting a little bit emotional when we were hearing that and all. And it's just, you know, it's some pretty <laughs> serious stuff. And and like I said, it was they didn't they didn't know what I do. <laughs> and so it was really cool to hear them talking about it that way, you know. So I'm pretty excited. Um anyway, we've been prattling on here for a while. And I want to remind you to um, give a little bit of love and thanks to uh, the Seafields uh, and the Laura, uh, the, the LACC at um, at FIU for uh, supporting this project and supporting this podcast. And all uh, we can't do this without them. Love to have all of you join us on our Patreon. Give us a little bit of love every every month. You know, just a couple of dollars a month will, will, will help us get along and help us bring you more and more of this information that where um, I hope we can all learn together and with that. we just like to tell you, have a wonderful, wonderful day, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks.
2: Thank you for tuning in today and learning with us from our guests. If you want more information about what our guests talked about today, check our show notes for links and information in our archive, and don't forget to like and share our podcast with your friends.
3: If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting us financially by becoming a patron. For as little as a dollar per month, you can support us and get the exclusive benefit of submitting your questions for our interviewees before the interview.
2: The Sargassum Podcast is produced by Marine Conservation Without Borders and is made possible with financial support and consideration from Seafields in the Kimberley Green Latin America and Caribbean Center U.S. Department of Education Title VI grant. It is produced by Jose Martinez, Alex Daniele, Cleo Maradakis, Francisca Elmer, and Eloise Lopez, and is hosted by Robbie Thigpen, Francisca Elmer, Jenna Contuccio, Florence Menez, Cleo Maradakis, and Paula Diaz.
3: We will be back in two weeks with another exciting guest. The music for the podcast is from the song Them A Pray by Drizzle, the Run Drama, an artist from Raw Follow him on Spotify and YouTube for more music. But for now, this is the full song Them Up Pray.